Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Richard Barrett with me. Welcome to my podcast, Richard. Thank you. Richard Barrett is an author, speaker, and internationally recognized thought leader on the evolution of human values in business and society. He's the founder and chairman of the Barrett Values Center, a fellow of the World Business Academy and former values coordinator of the World Bank. So Richard, I wanted to kick off with one uh, question, which I think will be a key word in what we are going to discuss here today, and that is values. Let's start by defining it. What is actually that? So I find it very interesting that you should start with the question, you know, what are values? Because actually, I'm just about to publish a book called Everything I've Learned About Values in my personal life, my organizational life, and my societal life. And um, I'm doing that basically uh, as, a, as a request uh, from a friend of mine in Sweden, uh, Bjorn Larsen, who said, you know, Richard, when we listen to you talking about values, he said, it's like trying to drink water from a fire hose. He said, you need to simplify it a bit. And so he said, you need to write a book on everything you know about values. Keep it short, keep it simple. And so that's what I'm going to do. But now let's get back to your question. What are values? Um, I used to call values sort of a, the uh, most important things in your life. What is it that you value? But I've come to realize that they actually they're the energetic drivers of our aspirations and intentions. There's a lot of energy behind values, uh, your values. When you ask somebody, what are your values? You can have a very engaging conversation because you're touching people at a very deep level. So they're the energetic drivers of our aspirations and intentions. And... Um I read in your recently launched book, Values Driven Organization, a very good, I think, universal piece of truth for, for management, as, as a lot of people who are listening to this are in some kind of managerial situation. And it says like this, figure out your value system, decide what your company stands for. What does your company do that gives everyone most pride? And then put yourself out 10 or 20 years in the future. What would you look back on with greatest satisfaction? And I find this is a you know, fantastic essence of if you know the answers to these questions, you, you come far. What, what do you think? So, you see, uh, as I already indicated, values are the energetic, are energetic drivers. And so when you get in touch with your values, you're getting in touch with the deepest aspect of your being. You can call it soul if you want, but it's the deepest aspect of your being. And so building your business around your values is very important. And what you find is that as you move into, let me use another term now, a higher levels of consciousness, as you grow, as you grow older and become more mature, you find that people at these higher levels of consciousness share the same values. And so when you have a set of values that touch people at the deepest level of their being, they will respond because you are inviting them to participate whole, uh, 
wholeheartedly with the endeavor that you are working on together. So that's one of the reasons I wrote um, The Values Driven Organization. I wanted people to understand that values are at the core of everything that we do. And when you build a company based on values, you will elicit from your employees um, an amazing amount of energy. Uh, they will come to work and they will just love getting up in the morning in order to uh, live their values and also, to a certain extent, live their purpose and their mission in life. But values are the key. Without that, you won't have a cohesive culture because shared values help you to create that cohesive culture. So when you look back 20 years and you've been living from your values, you'll see that, in fact, you've created a, an organization which has been unleashing people's energies. They show up at work feeling that they are living from their true selves. And there's nothing better than that. I mean, if you, when you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work, well, that pretty much means they're not living your values at your workplace. So creating that atmosphere is vitally important. So yeah, looking back 20 years, you can see you created an organization where people can thrive. But you've created these cultural transformation tools uh, as a way of, of achieving this, which have been used to support thousands of organizations, I think I read somewhere in 60 countries, on this transformational journey. So, but if I could challenge you and ask you to express like in a few sentences, what is your most important learning from all this experience? Well, you know, um, people in business recognize one thing, and that is measurement matters. Whatever you measure is what you focus on, and that tends to improve. So in the past, companies tend to focus on the bottom line, profit, efficiency, productivity, but they never really focused on values. Why? Because they were regarded as intangibles. Now, what I've done with the cultural transformation tools, I made the intangibles tangible. We can actually measure the values by asking employees, what are your top 10 personal values? What values do you see in the organization? What values would you like to see? And in the gaps between personal values, current culture and desired culture, you see exactly what is necessary to give employees the experience they're looking for so they will bring their full selves to work. And so, this values assessment, a cultural values assessment, is actually the pathway to high performance. And that's what I write about in The Values Driven Organization. I show how to use the cultural transformation tools to create a high performance organization in which people find joy and fulfillment. And what do you think is the reason that, for example, I read in some Gallup, recent Gallup reports that maybe a quarter of the people are happy going to work and the rest are not. I think it's true. <laughs> is it the lack of these values or is it something no, else? No, yeah, it is, but there's something more significant and that is most companies are driven by fear. And fear is going to kill your values because most of the, uh, how shall I put it, the companies that are recorded in the stock exchange they're looking at short-term results. They're driven by these short-term results. They live in an environment of fear of, we must do this. And that's what happened to Nokia, by the way. They fell out of existence because there was so much fear 
at the top level in meeting the market demands and then f so much fear in the middle management that you know the middle management wasn't telling the senior people the whole truth. In fact, I just read a whole paper about that yesterday. Anyhow, fear is the killer in terms of efficiency, productivity, culture, and values. Because when there's an environment of fear, you get what I call limiting values showing up. What are, well, I call them potentially limiting values. They are blame, internal competition, bureaucracy, hierarchy. All of these values bring down the energy of people in the organization. And they, when you live in, a, in that type of culture, frankly, you don't really want to go to work. And when you're at work, you, you really want to get home as quickly as possible. And you, you don't give any of your discretionary energy to the enterprise. What is discretionary energy? Well, discretionary energy is the energy that you have, which you're willing to give to the organization if you feel aligned with the organization. But if you don't feel aligned and you don't feel valued, you're going to save that discretionary energy for your sports team or your outside interests. So people who, who work in an organization where they, they feel aligned bring all this extra energy to your work. And that, as a leader, is what you want to tap into. So unfortunately, you know, what you focus on is what you get. And when you focus on the short term and the profits, you really don't inspire people to do very much. That's why I say forget that. Focus on the needs of your employees. And if you can get that right, everything else will fall into place. You will have a very high-performing organization. But what do you think is the biggest difference between today and, let's say, 20 years ago when it comes to companies' willingness to use their impact and serve as role models? So by the, uh, that, I mean, by the term serve as role models, are you thinking about topics such as sustainable development or...? Like just having a good impact, to drive some kind of yeah. good impact via their companies as an instrument. Yeah. Well... Um, I mentioned a friend, Bjorn Larsson, in Sweden, and he's just finished a book called The Meaningful Economy. And he's saying, and I totally agree, and he quotes me in his book as well, that we're re arriving at a point in time where meaning and purpose is a major driver of people. When people are well-educated and they reach their late 30s, early 40s, really what they're looking for is meaning and purpose in life. And and they're wanting to live in an environment where, uh, in a culture, not only in the organization, but also in society, where meaning is important. And so what you see now uh, growing in, in business is the term purpose. People talk about what is the purpose. And having a purpose which is bigger than making profits, having a purpose which is somehow contributing to the well-being of society is now being regarded as the sine qua non for having a successful business. If you're not contributing to society, then you are going to lose a lot of, how shall I put it, more educated, mm. more Uh, sophisticated people, uh, no matter yeah. what product or service that you sell, they will shop around and they'll find an organization that is doing good in the world because that's where they come in from. They resonate with that. More and more people resonate with that. And so that's why it's important. Mm. 
And yeah, no, I can also see that more and more companies are you know, understanding this, uh, that making money and making a difference are mutually supportive also. But what do you think needs to happen to have more companies, hopefully 100% at a time, to think and act this way? Well, that's a huge question. I mean, it's, I mean, you, you could answer that by saying, you know, we need a new form of capitalism. I mean, you know, and, and, and that's showing up on the um, horizon in the form of conscious capitalism. So there's a whole theory around conscious capitalism. But what actually I think is fundamentally necessary is a shift in leadership. The winning solution is no longer to be the best in the world but to be the best for the world. And that shift means a shift from ego consciousness. And in my own words, I would say a shift from ego, a shift to a shift in soul consciousness, a, a shift into that deeper sense of connectedness that we all have with other people when we stop and think about it. If your leader is ego-driven, then you'll have this toxic culture and we can measure that it's called cultural entropy it's the degree of dysfunction in the system when we use our cultural transformation tools so mm -hmm. organizations with low entropy are actually very very successful because there's much less fear in the organization we talked about that earlier so the, the, if you can draw the fear out of the organization and care for your employees care for their needs um, you will have a very very motivated workforce Let's move back to you, actually, and, and to understand more what you've learned so far in life and, and who you actually are. What, what is your passion? You know, the, whatever you would say, what drives you that you are also willing to suffer for in order to make it happen? Well, um, for the first uh, half of my life, up to the age of about 45, I was a transportation engineer. And I was finished up working at the World Bank, helping the governments around the world put together urban transport projects which would then be financed by the World Bank and all of a sudden I was bored with my life and I realized that um, actually it wasn't transportation I was interested in, it was transformation. I'd, oh, I'd been reading books on transformation all my life on spirituality, um, Eastern mysticism, uh, psychology and I realized that was my passion and so that was a turning, really important turning point, and I managed to shift jobs in the World Bank, uh, focus on values for a while, write two books. A second book, Liberating the Corporate Soul, was actually my passport out of the World Bank because I'd invented this way of measuring the consciousness of group cultures, of organizations, and I realized that you know I could actually build a business around that, and that's what I've been doing for the last 20-odd years. So... What I'm actually passionate about, to tell you the truth, is the evolution of human consciousness. I want to build a better world for everyone. And so in the last 10 years, I changed from being CEO of my company to being chairman. I write a book every year now, and, and I've written six or seven books in the last seven years. And now, really what I'm focused in on is how to build this better world. And to that end, my company, the Barrett Value Center, has decided to create what we call the Academy for the Advancement of Human Values. And we're just in the moment beginning to focus on what will be the Academy for the Advancement of Human Values. We'll be doing research, we'll be doing education and training, and we'll also be doing mentoring and coaching and some consulting too. So that's actually my passion now, 
is to uh, take this knowledge and wisdom that we've learned over the past 20 years and that I've written about in my, the 12 books that I've written and make it available to the world through the academy. And I'm just curious to understand when you are writing all these books, apart from it being based on your you know, collective experience and, and wisdom and so on, where does everything come from? How does it come to you? In, I mean, because it's, it's so much wisdom and so much knowledge. I've, I've read a few of your books and uh, I keep asking myself, you know, how it's not something that you can educate yourself to. You kind of need to understand it profoundly. So um, you could say I have a, a gift of synthesis. You could say I have a natural way of looking at things. But the truth is, I mean, it sounds weird, but I just download this information. And what do I mean by download? It comes to me. These thoughts just come to me. I, I say they come from my soul, but I get inspiration daily. I get told, in a sense, what books to write. I, uh, and when I'm writing a book, I, I get a tremendous amount of guidance about what to say. And, and actually, the process of writing for me is uh, immensely creative. And there's a sort of like a I'm getting guidance and almost every sentence, every word I write, I, I feel like this guidance in putting wisdom on the paper. I can't explain it any other. It's not me. <laughs> it comes through me. That's all I can tell you. And, and But it's, it's tremendously exciting because, you know, I never know what I'm going to say next, <laughs> like in this interview. <laughs> Are there any other turning points apart from the one you mentioned that you, you want to bring up here that were important to you? Well, there, uh, it's, it's, that was the major turning point, moving from transportation to transformation. And, and that has been like an ongoing journey. And um, what I've learned in that process is you, it's okay having a vision and mission for your life. But actually, when you are living in soul consciousness, all you have to do is follow the breadcrumbs that arrive every, on your plate every day. In other words, follow your daily inspiration. And that guides you in a particular direction to a particular purpose, to a particular end. And, and that has worked for me amazingly well. So I recommend, you know, well, I actually write about I've written books on how to live in soul consciousness. What my soul told me is one book, another book, a new psychology of human well-being that links, uh, talks about ego-soul dynamics and, and li what living from soul consciousness means and looks like and how you can do that and how it links to physical health and how it links to mental health. And again, uh, when I'm writing these books, sometimes they're two or three hundred pages. Some of the things that I put in those books are sort of a revelation to me as I'm writing them. and But they're logical, and that's why people like these books. They're very, very logical, and they they make sense to people because they connect with the, what I'm writing about quite deeply. And, and and I rely on that for all of my writings. Hmm. If we think about businesses and organizations uh, on a broader level, what, what long-term solutions do you believe in? Well, whew. Ooh, big questions, long-term solutions. Well, uh, let me start with one, mm -hmm. and that's the education system. We need to develop a completely new education system that recognizes that children are born as souls, in a sense. That, that, and, and what does a soul want to do? It wants to express itself, so it wants to connect with other people, so it can make a difference, and it wants to contribute to society. 
and how education system at the moment is built around, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic and how are you going to fit into the economic order so you can get a job. And so creativity is completely suppressed as we move through our education system. You know, by the time kids get to about their late teens, 2% of kids at that age don't have a genius level creativity, whereas you measure their creativity at age three and five oh, in that area, and they're like 98% have genius level creativity. So what happened to all that creativity? It was completely socialized and educated out of us. And so the future, to live in the future that I would like to see, we need to start with our kids and have a completely different education system to the one we have now. That's number one for me. Number two is, okay, so that's the future. The kids are the future. Let's start working on the people who are around now. That's you and me, you know. How, well, everybody is on a journey, and that journey is seven stages of psychological development. And, and basically, as you progress through those stages, you become more mature, you become more less concerned on self for self and more concerned for others. And for me, those stages of psychological development should be at the core of every leadership program. I mean, leadership programs have the hard side. It's like, okay, so I'm in the banking, so I need to know about economics. Okay, so you need to learn about that if you're going to be a leader in banking. But the soft side is the same for everybody. We're all going through these stages of psychological development. And so the first thing you have to learn is how to lead myself. How do you lead yourself? How do you master your emotions? How do you understand how you are contributing to the problem? You're, you are part of the problem. How do you realize that actually you could be part of the solution? And so learning to lead self comes before learning to lead a team. And learning to lead a team becomes before learning to lead an organization. And so we need a, a, a new leadership paradigm. In fact, I wrote a book called The New Leadership Paradigm. And actually, if you, if you, uh, there's a whole website devoted to New Leadership Paradigm, which actually uh, explores this idea of stage one, leading selves, stage two, learning to lead others, stage three, learning to lead an organization, stage four, learning to lead in society. And so start with education, move on to leadership. I think these are the two fundamental places to begin recalibrating our whole society so that we can live in a better world. And that's true in every nation. But if you would assume that you have all doors open and all kind of resources available, what would you innovate or change? There's one thing uh, that is uh, fundamental to our understanding of who we are. We all think that we, you know, our point of view is right and the other person's point of view is wrong. And the reason for that is we, is we tend to live in what I call flatland. It's like uh, I'm at this stage of development. My country is at this stage of development too. And, and you know, what we're doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. Actually, the most important thing is to see the verticality of the evolution of consciousness. Because every country has a different stage of development. So people in Sweden actually, and in fact all the Scandinavian countries and, and Switzerland are at uh, probably the highest stage of collective consciousness than any other countries on the, in the planet. In fact, I've just, uh, I'm just about to publish some research that I've done which 
categorizes all the nations of the world by consciousness. So these six nations, the Scandinavians and Switzerland, are at the top of the consciousness ladder. And there, in those nations, you see policies and procedures and systems at a collective government level, which are creating freedom for people, creating a new world. And then at lower levels of consciousness, next down, lower levels down, you've got some of the Northern European nations. Well, I won't list all of those out. But the key is that verticality, seeing this verticality of consciousness and understanding that enables you to see that we're not living in this flatland, that people living in tribal systems are living in tribal systems because that is how they find meaning and purpose, and that's okay. And people living at other states are, are okay, but somehow we all have to live together. And so there has to be, at some point, we get to the point where we realize that all of these different nations living in different worldviews somehow need to be able to work together because the problems of existence have become global and the solutions we have are, are, are national. So somehow we have to move into some form of global governance system to resolve these problems. The United Nations can't do it because it was created for a particular purpose after the Second World War, and it, it, is, it doesn't meet the needs of the present time. We need a global governance system which at the next level down is a regional governance. So the regions of the world uh, have a governance system and beneath the regions of the world, we have national governance and national governments feed into the regional governance and regional governance feeds into this global governance system. That's not what the United Nations is. The United Nations is like we're all in it together and Trinidad has an equal voice to China. I mean, you know, it's, I'm not saying that everybody's, shouldn't have an opinion, but we need to work out our problems of existence at a regional level, because at a regional level, we have similar problems. In the uh, global consciousness indicators I've created, this becomes obvious when you assess the levels of consciousness of nations all around the world, you find that they actually group together in regions. And so that means those countries in those regions have similar problems, they have similar issues, they have a similar conscience, and they can, and they can work together to resolve those. Um, so the problems of existence in North America are quite different to the problems of existence in Africa. And the people in North America really don't understand what's going on in Africa. And the Africans have a difficult time understanding what's going on in North America. I mean, we all have a difficult time understanding <laughs> what's going on in the USA right now. Yeah. So, so regional governance, I think, is the solution forming into a, national, a world governance system, which would actually help us to resolve these international issues, which we can't do at the nation level because, you know, it takes, it's really hard. It was really hard to get together, all the nations together to do deal with global warming. And then, you know, Trump pulls out of the whole thing at the Paris Accords. I mean, okay, so how are we going to work together if we have nations which are not working, don't want to play? Mm. I mean, we live in one world, for goodness sakes. It doesn't make sense to me. But is there any particular one piece of advice that you would like to give to leaders, however you want to define them? Well, I, you know, we're talking about political leaders, business leaders. Um, and I know I'll get killed for saying this, but I think business leaders are much more intelligent 
than political leaders on the whole. Um, not <clears throat> how, how how shall I put it? Uh, we got to the point where our political leaders are followers. Actually, they want to get voted in. Okay. So what they have to do is figure out what is the average level of consciousness of the people in their nation and then address those issues. And if they can address those issues, they'll get voted in. Is that what happened that with, isn't, with that, Trump? Then? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's not leadership. Mm. That's following. It's popularity contest, frankly. Mm. That's what it is. These are Our political leaders are not leaders. They are winning popularity polls because they are figuring out what level of consciousness the majority of the people are at and then they're putting forward their policies to help those people have a better world. They don't have this big view, whereas many business leaders are much more discerning about the needs of the world because they're not working at a national level. They're working at a global level. The, many companies now are global, and so these leaders have to see the big picture, whereas politicians in the nation don't. They're focused on, you know, what's happening in, mm. you know, in Birmingham or what's happening in Uppsala. Or, you know, they don't have that big, big view. And so we can't expect these people to run the world because they can't hardly run their countries. And, and if you could give one piece of advice to yourself, like let's say 15 years ago, what would it be? Listen, listen, listen. Listen to the people who are close to me in life. These are my best critics. These are my best, the best way I can of improving who I am. Listen to the people who are close to me. Listen to the people in my organization because that's, I can then hear what their needs are and how to supply their needs so that they can, so the organization can thrive. And listen to what's happening at the global level. I say listen in the sense of being aware of what's happening at a global level so that you can use the influence you have, whatever it is, and it may not be very much, but at least Uh, you can use whatever influence you have to get together uh, with other people who think similarly and try to create a better world. So listening is fundamental. And I've learned over that period of the last 15 or 20 years to listen, most importantly, to my soul and what my soul is telling me. So that's actually listening at four levels. Soul level, listening to people close to you, listening to people in your organization, listening to what's going on in the world. Mm. And going back to companies, what do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? Well, right now um, is an interesting loaded question um, because I think in different nations there are different things going on. So let's talk about the West in general. Uh, the thing to focus on is what I write about in the values of an organization. Listen to the needs of your employees because whatever you need is what you value. And that's why values are so important. So when you measure or map people's values in an organization, personal values, how they see the current culture, how they see the design culture, you're actually actually mapping their needs when you map their values. And so listening to what it is that your employees need, because Employees at different stages of psychological development will have different needs. And so it's not one thing that fits all. You have to create an organization 
that satisfies the needs of the employees at the stages of psychological development that they're at. And in that way, when you're able to satisfy their needs, you will have a very thriving organization because people will feel loyal, they will feel committed to you because when you care about them, they will care about you. And that's the bottom line, it's the golden rule, it's everywhere. It's in all religions. When you care about others, mm. they care about you. It's translated differently, but that's the basic idea in the golden rule. Many companies have a couple of values that they try to communicate, talk about and, and, and live from. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the values of all the people in there at that very point in time, but rather some kind of values that they have in common together and maybe in common, hopefully, with the clients that they are going to serve. And it stays there. So from your point of view, that's not the way to do it. Well, the it's interesting, you know... When you have an organization, uh, there are many, you, you need people at different skills, different levels. And so the leadership group actually will be the most uh, knowledgeable about the vision mm. and the mission of the organization. The values affect everybody. Mm. So when IBM have, you know, want to choose their values, guess what? They consult everybody. And so it's fundamentally important to have that discussion in the organization about what are the values that are most important to us, to you personally, and if you feel are important to us mm. uh, as an organization. And you can measure that. Mm. And, uh, and that conversation is fundamental. And then you choose three or four values, not eight or nine, because people can't remember them, and not one or two, three or four or five. And then for each value in each business unit, decide what behaviors would be happening if this value is being lived. So, for example, if you have trust, trust on the shop floor in an assembly unit, the behaviors would be different to trust in the accounting department. And so the, all of the different departments in the, or the whole organization would have the same four or five values, but the behaviors that you would be looking for in each department to support that value would be different. And, uh, and that's, I think, is very important. People usually miss that point. Yeah, actions are key to follow up on, on what you're saying. Yeah, we, we, you see, when I look at you, I can't see your values, but when I see your behaviors, I can guess at what your values are. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Mm, that's true. And your values, if somebody would ask you, what are your values, Richard? What do you say? Yeah, well, I, you know, I do. <laughs> People can do this. They can go online and do a personal values assessment. And I do it every few months. Uh, it's valuespluralcenter.com slash PVA, personal values. You can do a free assessment. Half a million people have done it in the last three or four years. Valuecenter.com slash PVA. So I frequently, I'm looking at my values, but the, the values that come up for me uh, continuously are creativity, clarity, and humor and fun. I can't, my creativity depends on my clarity. I can't write if I haven't got clarity. And when I've got clarity, I find new levels of creativity. Humor and fun is just how I like to live my life. I like to live it with joy. <laughs> and I guess love is my fourth value. I just love everybody. Uh, and why wouldn't I? Because, you know, we're actually, my philosophy or my cosmology is that we're all human beings. We're part of this 
same species and that, you know, if we're going to live in a world that works, we need to love one another. Hmm. Which actually bridges into my, my last question to you is, what, what do you think the world needs most at this time? If you were to ask the Beatles, they'd tell you, all you need is love. I mean, <laughs> I'm a great believer in that. Sometimes I, uh, you know, I come across a situation and I don't know what to do. And I ask myself, what would love do in this situation? I think it's a great question. When you have a dilemma or problem or something happening in your personal life, you don't know how to deal with Ask yourself a question, what would love do in this situation? And, uh, you know, that will give you guidance because that will cement relationships. And, and, and that's really what life is all about. Well, fundamentally, it's all about relationships. You know, as they say, you know, people on their dying bed, when you ask, you know, what was the most important thing in their lives? And it was basically the relationships they had with other people. It wasn't, oh, I built this business and it was tremendously successful and I made six million pounds or whatever. What's fulfilling in our lives is, did we express ourselves? Did we connect with other people? And did we contribute to society? That's what's important. So how, Richard, how was it to be on this podcast? Well, um, very interesting, uh, particularly the location of our podcast I found to be uh, <laughs> in the Villa Vina Maggio in, uh, <laughs> near Florence in the Mona Lisa room. Um, you know, um, I happen to live around the corner. Thanks, I really enjoyed it. And thank you for doing what you do. I think you're providing people with a lot of inspiration. Thank you so much, Richard. It was really fun to talk to you. And soon I have the pleasure to go have a dinner as well with you. So that's going to be interesting to dig deeper. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that too. Thank you very much. And to find out more about Richard and his work, you can head to richardbarrett.net. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Barrett Values. So thank you very much for listening and make sure to share the podcast with your network for impact. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.